as you consider the year ahead. I wonder whether you've come today and you're, and you're full of worries. Do you feel overwhelmed by your responsibilities? Do you spend more time sighing than smiling? Uh, are you finding that your life is full of frustrations? Your personal plans and your dreams keep getting derailed or... Maybe you're noticing a pattern in your personal relationships or your work relationships that they seem to be full of argument and, and conflict. Well, if that fits you at all, I'm very glad you came to church today. Because if you open your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe God's Word has some insight for us. It's been a great day to come to church if you're anxious. And the truth is that um, all of us here need to grasp and apply these verses. Do you have a a, a motto verse for the year, Rodney? You do? Okay, I'm going to sneak in another one then from 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and that's page uh, 1220, 1220 in in the... Church Bibles there, 1,220. I'm just going to read from verse 5, second half of verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is God's word. If you suffer from a short attention span this morning, let me help you and look straight at verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so my advice to you this morning is if uh, you did a little bit too much partying over the new year, stayed up a bit too late, or the, the, the shopping was too exhausting, you ate too much food, and you start drifting this morning, settle your eyes back on that verse. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It is a a great verse to memorize. Should we just try it together? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You're a smart crowd, aren't you? Look at that. That was very quick. Learning a Bible verse like that. Just write one more time. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Very good. Well, there we are. It would be very wise for us to uh, memorize that verse and then to make very specific applications to our lives because... uh, It is always true. Uh, In the original language, it has this sense. God is continually opposing the proud, but continually gives grace to the humble. Peter is quoting a verse from the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. It's an important text. It gets quoted twice in the New Testament. It gets quoted here and in the book of James. And so what I want to do, first of all, is just meditate on that little verse with you. God opposes the proud. 
Now, what is pride? It is that attitude of heart when we think we're better than the people around us. Uh, It's when we have a high view of ourselves, an unmerited view of ourselves. And uh, pride works its way in our hearts so that thinking so wonderfully of ourselves, we begin to despise and disdain those around us, those poor folk who aren't quite as, you know, up to the mark as people like us. Pride can take lots of different forms, can't it? It can, it can have the, the huge boasting of minimal achievements, or it can be the one word put down. And of course, pride has this one purpose, and it is to elevate ourselves. Uh, our words are great indicators of the presence of pride. Demeaning words, harsh words, well, they're all ways to just, in a sense, push people just down a little bit. And of course, where does that put us? Just a little bit higher. That's why we do it. And here's some more indicators of the presence of pride. If you're finding that your life is full of arguments, tension, and bitterness, I would want to lovingly encourage you to consider this morning that you may have a problem with pride. Maybe the one uniting thing in all your disordered relationships is you. Well, there's a scary thought for the start of the year. You see, if we're always talking but never listening... If we're quick to pass judgment on others, yet cannot take correction, even from those that love us, then I want to suggest that maybe we have a problem with pride. You know, if our thoughts are full of self-pity and grumbling, rather than thanksgiving, it's a sure sign of the presence of pride. You know, pride just takes all these many different forms, but it has this one end in view, and it is self-glorification. We don't think of it like that, but that's what really is going on. At the root, the purpose of pride really is just to elevate and exalt ourselves. To It is the desire to be glorious. Deep down, each one of us wants to shine. We want others to bask in the reflected glory that is me. Well, we, don't, we you know, wouldn't think about it like that, but that really is what's going on. And when we put it like that, we begin to understand what a problem pride is because God alone is worthy of glory. You know, we, we attempt to be glorious. It's, it's a bit like lighting a candle in front of sunshine. It's pitiful. It, it, no, it's not the place. Pride is when we sinful human beings aspire to the status and the position of God himself, and, and, and we fail to acknowledge our complete dependence upon God. That, that's what pride is. And then when we put it that way, we see that pride is, as, as John Stott once put it, is the, is the essence of all sin. And the ultimate problem with pride is this. Do you know what the big problem is? God is opposed to the proud. You know, it's one of these things I think as evangelicals we, we don't mind admitting to. Ah, uh, you know, sometimes I'm a bit proud. As if it's not a big deal. God is opposed 
to the proud. He is continually opposed to the proud. My friends, consider this. If you uh, are a person, if we are people today who are characterized by pride, then the God of the universe is opposed to us. Have you considered that? I had two fights in school. Uh, I won't tell you about one of them. Say that for another time, maybe. Uh, but the, the, the other fight I got into was, was a guy called Ginger. Uh, Ginger stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And Ginger liked to show he was the man. And uh, he was trying to intimidate me uh, one day. And I, I made the mistake of you know, looking up into his face like that and, and laughing at him you know, as he attempted to intimidate me. And he was just about to lay one on me when he saw the teacher coming. And he hissed at me after school. I'm going to get you. And guess what? After school, he got me. <laughs> he beat me up. He beat me up. Well, that's one thing to have Ginger as your opponent. Imagine this, to have God opposed to you. You know, if the American military is, is capable of shock and awe, what about God? If you want to remind yourself, why don't you open the Bible uh, when you get home and, and begin reading the book of Exodus and see what God does to proud Pharaoh when, when uh, God clearly says to Moses to let his people go and proud Pharaoh says no. And we have this mighty contest. Of course, it's no contest at all, is it? Now, this is what the Lord can do. He can bring a nation to its knees. Proud people will not indefinitely escape the judgment of God. There's two very important verses in, in Proverbs chapter 16, and, the, and it says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. What does God think of uh, proud people? The Lord detests. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? He detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, it goes on to say, they will not go unpunished. And uh, in verse 18 of Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, we can be sure of this, that if we persist in our lives with the sin of pride, if we do not repent of it, it will take us to our destruction. If we go through life unrepentant, with a haughty spirit. My friends, it'll take us to hell. And uh, what I want to say to you is if you find, as you look at your life, that your plans and your dreams keep getting blocked and opposed, then I, I think this text would urge us to consider whether this might be because the Lord is opposed to us. Maybe he is uh, graciously challenging our pride. And seeking to humble us in his kindness. So we've considered the, the great warning of this verse. What about the promise? It is a beautiful promise, isn't it? You know, there's the warning. God is opposed to the proud. But here's the promise. But gives grace to the humble. What a beautiful thing. And what is humility? Well, humility is that attitude of heart. It, 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 that, is, it is, that is a low and modest view of ourselves. Uh, a humble person doesn't think too much of themselves, and uh, they're the sort of people who kind of look around and, and, and tend to think highly of others, and so they feel 
free to serve others. They're not always looking to be served. They're the sort of people who want to serve others because they're humble of heart. And of course, such a thing is an amazing thing. It is, is one of the sure signs that God is, is beginning a work in someone's life when they begin to think less highly of themselves. It's a miracle, isn't it? Because we live in a world where it's all about me, me, me. And suddenly someone stops thinking about themselves that way. You think, that's, that's a miraculous thing. That God's at work in such a person. Do you remember the, 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 the story that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector going up to uh, the temple to pray? The, the Pharisee was full of religious pride. And when you rank different types of pride, I reckon religious pride is the most rancid. It is the most grotesque form of pride that there is, isn't it? Religious pride. It stinks. And this Pharisee is just full of it. And in Luke 18, uh, Jesus speaks of the, of the Pharisee standing near the front of the temple. Good visibility, clearly. And he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Well, prayer. Robbers. Evildoers. Adulterers. Or even... Oh, yes, like that tax collector at the back. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. See, that's religious pride, isn't it? That's, oh, that's rancid. That smells bad, doesn't it? That's a camembert that's been in the fridge too long, isn't it? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, it says, and, and he beat his breast and he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For, here's the principle, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, this really is the start of the Christian life, isn't it? A humble acknowledgement that we're sinners. A realization that there is really nothing to commend us before God. This is how you begin the Christian life. We simply must call upon God to have mercy on our souls. Let me tell you about Ken. Ken attends the uh, congregation in Spokane. He grew up in a Jewish family. He was a high achiever in everything he put his uh, hand to. He, uh, he, he works as a, a specialist ophthalmic uh, doctor and his wife, Juliet, became a Christian. She was invited to come along to Christianity Explored. I see you guys do that too. It's a great course. And uh, she got invited along. She became a Christian. She then uh, began to work on her husband. She, uh, she sort of begged him to come to church. And when he first came to church, he would sit in church with his arms like this. Now, some of you are doing that now because you're cold. I understand that. <laughs> sit like that. Just wanted everyone to know he did not want to be there. Well, Christianity Explored came up, and grudgingly he agreed to go. And uh, in fact, we were preaching through First Peter. I was preaching this very sermon, and after this sermon, he came out to me and uh, he said, "You know, I never thought that I was a sinner." He said, "But today I realize 
that the whole of my life has been full of pride. And it was that week a Christianity explored. He, he called out to God to have mercy on him. And he and his wife uh, both got baptized together. And uh, it's just a great joy. Well, let me ask you, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you asked God to have mercy on your soul? Have you, like the tax collector, humbly acknowledged that there's nothing to commend you before God? Have you said, Lord, have mercy on me? Here's a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the ugly sin of pride. Even a life of pride can be forgiven at the cross of the Lord Jesus. That's the start of the Christian life, isn't it? But the truth is that such humility is the way we go on in the Christian life. We never move on from the gospel, do we? It must be at the very center of our lives. It must be at the very center of our thoughts and our affections. How ugly, how incongruous to see a proud Christian. It's an oxymoron. It should never happen. How ugly to see a proud congregation. I'm thrilled to bits that you guys are celebrating 200 years. You know, your church has gone on longer than the city of Spokane where we live. It's only been going for 100 years, and you've been going for twice that. And I rejoice with you at that, and there's so much you can thank God for. But resolve never to be the sort of church that's proud of itself and think, ah, but where's Charlotte Chapel? Ooh, the camembert. Can you smell the camembert? How rancid that is. Now be a church that boasts in Christ. Be a church that talks much about Him. I mean, what have we brought but our sins? What mercy and grace He's shown to us. The truth is, is, if we live closer to the cross of Christ, we would not so easily be puffed up with pride. When I'm feeling cold at heart, I, uh, before I read my Bible, I, I read some sermons by Spurgeon on the cross of Christ, and he has a phrase in one of them. He says, you know, if only we would pluck a thorn from his crown, it would pierce all our pride to see what he suffered. How can we be proud when he paid such a cost? So we could be forgiven. You see, it's the death of Christ that reminds us how utterly sinful we are. It is the cross of Christ that tells us how utterly amazing the grace of God is. That we could be forgiven. It's the best news on the planet. It really is. In C.J. Mahaney's uh, excellent little book on humility, he quotes Isaiah 66 verse 2 and he says this, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. And then he goes on to write this. Humility is like a magnet that captures God's attention and invites his active involvement, attracting his grace, his unmerited kindness. That's quite a thought, isn't it? This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. Consider this. There is something that we can do to attract more of God's gracious, undeserved, supernatural strength and assistance in our lives. Do you, do you, is that attractive to you this year? 
Would you like more of that? Well, it's something we can do, the Bible says, and it is to pursue humility. Contrary to the popular belief that God helps those who help themselves, what the Bible teaches us is that God helps those who humble themselves. That's the promise of humility, that God is personally, providentially supportive of the humble. He is continually opposed to the proud, but He is continually helping those who humble themselves. He gives grace to the humble. Well, that's the point. Now, what's the application? Well, Peter gives us two applications in these verses Two main applications, and the first one is this, uh, be humble towards each other in verse 5. You see, if at the center of the universe there is a God that is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, and there is such a God, then how should we respond? Well, the first thing is that we should be humble towards each other. Verse 5, all of you, do you see that? All of you. Now, does anyone ruled out there? Has anyone got a pass? No, it's all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Whatever position you hold in church, whether it be an elder, a Sunday school teacher, a Bible study group leader, a deacon, a member, whatever it is, then Peter's command is exactly the same to each one of us. We all need to clothe ourselves with humility. And it's a very practical image. See, every day we get up, and uh, we make a choice about how we're going to uh, present ourselves to the world. Some of us take longer at it than others. Um, and uh, you're all fine examples today. Uh, and and what, what, what Peter is saying is that don't leave the house without clothing yourself with humility. Don't, don't leave the bedroom without that attitude Humility of heart. Uh, that word translated uh, in the English, clothed, it has a sense of, of, of tie humility around you. And Ed Clowney suggests that uh, Peter maybe had in his mind the idea of tying on an apron around yourself, a, a servant's apron. And it certainly would have been an unforgettable moment for Peter uh, when he saw Jesus, his teacher and his Lord, Uh, tying a towel around him and stooping down low to wash his dirty, smelly feet. And then he heard Jesus command them to love each other with the same humility of service. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? God the Son came in human flesh He had the right to all privileges, all honors, all service, but instead he comes and he stoops low to serve. It's an incredible thing. He emptied himself. He he took the form of a servant. He acted as a servant. He washed their feet. And of course, that was just a picture, wasn't it, of what he was going to do the next day on the cross by submitting himself to the humiliation of the cross, by submitting himself under the uh, the wrath of God, by putting himself in the place of a cursed one, he came to wash away our sins. What a savior. Peter never forgot that. And so he commands the Christians that he's writing to to exhibit exactly the same 
uh, model of humility that Christ uh, showed them. And why? Why should you do that? Why should you close yourselves with humility? Well, do you remember why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's why. And of course, there are people just like that, aren't there? In this church. Right now, you can, I mean, if you think, well, humble servant, for some of you, you'll just be thinking about particular people. And they're always there, always serving, not making a big fuss about them, just getting on with it. They're not trumpeting everything they do. I mean, that's what I do, you see? I mean, uh, my wife comes home. I just drop into the conversation. Oh, by the way, I vacuum cleaned the house. You know, my small little achievement. Whoopie-doo. You know, my wife does it all the time. But when, she doesn't make a fuss, but when I do, I go, oh, love, look at this. I, look, look, what you, no, no, that's not, that's not humility. But you're thinking about people like that, aren't you? People who just humbly serve others. Well, what about you? What do people think about when they think of you? I mean, if we were to be here uh, in a few years and it was your funeral and they're talking about you, will they be saying, well, the one thing about Mary or the one thing about John was his humility? Is that what they'll say? Well, that's the first application. The second is obviously related. You see, if at the center of the universe there, there's a God that opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and there is, then, then not only should we be humble towards each other, but it says in verses 6 to 7 that we should humble ourselves before God. Look at verse 6 again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now remember the context of the Christians to whom Peter is writing. They, they've lived under the real threat of persecution. They faced the opposition of an unbelieving society around them. And uh, the anxieties that faced them might well have included things like you know, being rejected by their families, losing face in the community, they're losing respect in the community, maybe even losing their job, the threat of physical violence, the loss of their possessions, and quite possibly imprisonment, and even the loss of their own lives. Now, those are the sort of things that begin to make you, what, a little bit anxious, don't you think? Would that make you anxious? I don't know about you, but when life starts getting stressful and disappointments come along, I have a tendency to look for other people to blame. And for many people, when life gets tough, then the finger of blame gets laid at God. There's something about this culture, isn't it? pretty much ignore God most of the time, and then a tsunami rolls in, or a 9-11 happens, and we're all wagging our fingers and saying, where was God in all of that? You know, instead of being full of praise that God allows any good things to happen to rebel sinners like us, uh, we get upset with God when a few kind of bad things take place. Instead of responding in that way, Peter says, be humble. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. To humbly accept that, that God is sovereign, that he's still in charge, even in the middle of, of difficult times. That's what Peter is calling them to. Now before the Exodus uh, plagues, God described how he's going to stretch out his hand on proud Pharaoh. He's going to strike Egypt. 
And that's the phrase we've got here. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. To describe submitting yourselves under God's mighty hand is to kind of remind ourselves that He is the sovereign God. That He um, orders all events by His power. But the beautiful thing here, really, for believers, is that this mighty hand is not to bring judgment. Quite the opposite. The mighty hand of God is to reach down and to protect and to keep His people. God's mighty hand is there to save and in God's good timing to lift up humble people. That's the promise of humility before God. There's another lady in our congregation called Lenore Adams. She's a widow. She has been for many, many years, many decades. And she's in her early 90s. And about a year or so ago, I visited her in um, a special care facility. She had fractured her hip. It was icy. She fell over. She fractured her hip. Pretty miserable for her. And yet what she said to me was absolutely amazing. She said to me at one stage, she said, Paul, I'm not sure why the Lord has allowed this to happen. But maybe he's put me here to encourage the old folks. Isn't that beautiful? She's in her early 90s herself. Now that's humbling yourself under God's mighty hand, isn't it? Something miserable happens, you think, but God in his sovereign grace, he must have a good purpose here. There's something I can do here. That's humbling yourself under God's mighty hands. And her hip's now restored, which is good. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he calls on them to be united as a church. What destroys churches more than anything else is pride. Not false teaching. It's pride. That's what destroys churches. And of course, he gives the most incredible example of humility, doesn't he, in chapter 2, that Jesus, who, although he was equal with God, uh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and humbled himself even to death on a cross. And, And then it says, therefore. That's why I'm pointing this out now. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. See, this is the pathway to glory that our Lord has walked. He calls on us to to follow in his footsteps. And, And the pathway is quite simply now, suffering now, glory to follow. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will exalt you. And specifically, how do you do that? How do you humble yourself under God's mighty hand? What what do you do? Well, the answer is in verse 7. It's by casting all our anxieties on Him. Now, if you've come in anxious today, you've, you've got to listen to this verse. You've got to wake up and listen to this verse. It's a wonderful invitation to a carefree day. A carefree year, in fact. And it's not that God's going to take your responsibilities off you. But he's willing to take your cares off you. God invites you to to take all the worrisome burdens you may have brought in with you today and, and your anxieties and to kind of take them off your back and hand them over to him to carry. Now, your circumstances may be really black and dark to you. And my question is, do you think God's big enough to hold that for you? Is he big enough to take that burden today and so you can just head out and trust him? He is, isn't he? And he's inviting you. 
I don't know if you've ever gone for a, a, a long walk up the hills and you've, got, you've had a huge backpack where you've carried everybody's stuff and your shoulder's practically broken and someone says, can I take that for you? And, and you know, as a bloke, you're going, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know? And then finally someone says, oh, I'll take that from you. And, oh. and that burden comes off. That's the invitation this morning, isn't it? Cast all your burdens on him. It's an invitation that's found all over the place in the Bible. And one of them was, is, is from Psalm 55. I read it earlier in the meeting. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. Now, praise God, it's a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He'll never let the righteous fall. See, the psalmist was full of anxiety, uh, and it was, it was just kind of the most awful type of anxiety. It was the attack of a false friend, someone who had been his close buddy and, and yet turned out to be a false friend. And so we re- read of his prayers. He talks out his troubles with the Lord. He's in a terrible turmoil, isn't he? And yet he casts it out morning, noon, and night to the Lord. He's, he's crying out to the Lord with his burden. He's laying it before the Lord's. And then he instructs all those reading and singing the psalm to do exactly the same. He says, come on, you do the same. You cast your cares on the Lord. And that's how we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord. It's such a big insight to realize that worry and anxiety and fear are the warning indicators of pride in our hearts. Do you realize that? Worry, anxiety, and fear are the warning indicators that pride is lurking in our hearts. You see, anxiety is a sure sign of self-sufficiency. Where I'm independently on my own, uh, uh, independently of God, sort of trying to sort things out by my own resources. And the the point is, it doesn't take long for me to feel anxious in that situation because I'm so limited. I don't know about you. Paul Reese's great resources of coping run out pretty quick if I'm running on Paul Reese, and so that's why anxiety kicks in and stress. And the solution to anxiety and worry is to humble myself before the Lord under his mighty hand to cast my cares upon him. And why would I do such a thing? Why would I do such a thing? Can you think of any Bible verse that would give me a reason, a motivation? Four. You've forgotten it already. Come on. Together, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that great news? Now, I hope God's word will begin to do something in our hearts and unlock something this morning. But I want to finish on a real practical note. What can we practically do today? I talked about prayer, the most practical thing you can do. But what else can we do? Well, there's a great little book on humility by C.J. Mahaney. I'd encourage you to read that. It's a great little book, and he gives some very practical applications of things we can do to grow in humility. And one of the things he lists there is play golf. There's nothing that can help humility more than shanking the ball into the undergrowth, as I do all the time. Now, I'm going to give you another very practical one. It doesn't involve golf clubs. You can do it on the way home. You ready for this? If you want to grow in humility today, 
I would encourage you to invite and pursue correction from a Christian brother or sister. Someone who likes you, right? You're an idiot if you ask someone who doesn't like you. (laughs) They've got a list. They're waiting for it, right? (laughs) Great, yes. No, someone who likes you. Uh, If you're married, I want to suggest to you it's probably your spouse, isn't it? The one who really sees what you like. And say to them, um, if you knew that I was not going to get angry, could you possibly, you know, dig deep and see if you could think about maybe one area that you think that maybe uh, I'm not doing so well in? Is there some sin you see in my life? Is there some persistent attitude or a heart problem or the way I relate to others? And you've noticed this. Is it, would, you, would you love me enough to tell me? Invite and pursue correction from a Christian brother or sister. It's just a great way to grow in humility, isn't it? I used to think I was fabulous until I got married. I was so gentle and considerate and just a wonderful guy. And then I got married. And I discovered I was a selfish bloke. I thought I was starting to get, to get it together, you know. And, and then the children came along. I realized, man, I'm a selfish guy. I'm a proud guy. Now, I want to encourage you. If you want to grow in humility today, why don't you consider that? It's very practical. It's too practical, isn't it? On the way home, sometime today, turn to someone and say, could you just possibly think of one? I bet you they've got a few, but just say one. (laughs) Just one today. Come back in a month for the next one. Pursue correction. Well, let's bow our heads, shall we? I wonder, are there specific situations, even now, that you're feeling conviction about? Maybe it has revealed pride from which you need to repent this morning. Well, take that time to do that. Are there specific anxieties that you've, have been weighing you down this morning and you realize now it's just an attempt to proud self-sufficiency? Why don't you just take the time now to commit those things to him? Oh, Heavenly Father, we're amazed that you love us because you see all of us, all of our sin and our foolishness and our pride. And yet you, you came in Christ to redeem us. Lord, each of us can get a sense at times that we are the chiefest of sinners. So we thank you that Christ Jesus died to save sinners. Thank you again. Oh Lord, please grow in us this year as a church, as individuals, humility. Oh Lord, it's not natural to us. It's alien to us in every way. Would you do that in our hearts? We thank you for this precious promise that although you oppose the proud, you give grace to the humble. Oh, we desire your grace, Lord, for this day, for this, for this year. 
So we thank you that you're a God who keeps your promises. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, our closing song takes us to the exact place we need to return to, to remove pride when I survey. So let's stand to sing this together.